Okay, this is being called a big week in the conservative leadership race. We already know, of course, that Pierre Polyev is in. Ontario MP, sorry, Leslie Lewis officially announced yesterday. And many are wondering when we will hear from the likes of Jean Charest, perhaps next, Patrick Brown, and others. Well, I can guarantee you this. We are going to hear right now from John Capabianco, political insider and senior vice president with Fleischman Hillard High Road, who joins us now. Hey there, John. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon. Okay, uh, let's start with uh, Lewis. She is back after a uh, well-received run in uh, 2019. She did a great job in, in 2019, relatively unknown. In fact, I would probably say very much unknown, in, uh, not only amongst um, Canadians, but even within the Conservative Party. And, and she came out from nowhere and really put on a good show and, and really kind of launched her uh, her public kind of persona, uh, not only within the Conservatives, but with Canadians. And that launched her to, to get a seat, uh, and she won the last election, is now an MP, uh, and is putting forward another bid. So, you know, good for her. She's a, an impressive candidate, a lawyer by trade, somebody who certainly made a name within the Conservative ranks last time, and I think will probably do a little bit better this time, given her recognition. So, so yeah, we'll probably be seeing her. In fact, we, we will be seeing her in the race for sure. Yeah, uh, more of a track record this time around, more recognition for sure, uh, track record including opposing child vaccines. Uh, do you think conservatives, do they have a better sense of who she is and what she stands for, obviously, this time around? Yeah, I think that the challenge with Leslin now is that, you know, she is a little bit more well-known. So in some cases, when, you know, when she ran the first time, there was a bit of a blank slate that no one really knew her, and she came out as a social conservative uh, somebody who wanted to talk about hope and unity. And, and when if you weren't sort of in favor of the other candidates, the other sort of more established candidates, she was a very safe person to kind of you know place your vote on. And then because our party has preferential balloting, it worked so that she kind of kept rising in the uh, in the in the balloting as as it went on. But now that she's been elected and now that she has some level of of recognition, she's made some some comments that are controversial within the party. And uh, and also, I think she still remains sort of that the the you know a pro life kind of uh, a social conservative candidate, which is going to appeal to a certain segment of of the party as well. And that that will remain. But it'll yet to be seen if, if some of the other, her other comments have caused people to kind of dig a little deeper as to who she is and, and what she stands for. All right. So uh, Lewis definitely in. Polyev definitely in. How about Sheree? Is he definitely in? Because we've got reporting and we're hearing that he is set to announce tomorrow. What are you hearing, John? No, I'm excited by that campaign. Sheree is somebody who is well known uh, to Canadians, well known to Conservatives, uh, and I'm, you know, almost 99.9% sure he's going to announce. I think they've already talked about having it done in, in Calgary by way of, of an announcement, which I think it's it's quite smart. So he's going to be interesting. He's obviously a heavyweight in, in this race and is going to put on probably the biggest challenge to uh, to, to Pierre Paulov. Uh, over the course of the next little while, somebody who you know ran was a leader of the conservative, the progressive conservative party back in the day when we got reduced to two seats. It was him and Elsie Wayne, I think, were the only two left uh, standing in the conservative party, but but really worked to rebuild the party and then left and then you know became premier of Quebec, as we all know. So somebody who you know has has experienced winning, has experienced governing, uh, and and I think is going to be a, is going to be a really important contender in this, and someone that that a lot of folks are, are really looking to uh, to see if. Uh, if they can support him. Right, you mentioned Calgary, and that is, uh, yeah, the reporting we're also getting that he will launch his uh, leadership bid, his campaign in Calgary. What, if anything, should we take from that, do you think, John? 
Well, you know, it's interesting because Aaron O'Toole, if you recall, when he launched his campaign, he launched it in, in Alberta as well. And, and I think it's sort of counterintuitive to those who think, in a, you know, sort of think that Charest is much more focused in Quebec because he is from Quebec and, and East, that, that he doesn't have an appeal or, or attraction in the West. So I think having him go to Calgary, and if in fact that's what he does and makes his launch in Calgary, I think that does show and, and I think it's going to put a big stamp for him to say, you know, you know what, I am a national pan-Canadian candidate. Don't look at me just as a, as a Quebec sort of East candidate, but look at me as a full pan-Canadian candidate. I think that's going to go well. He needs to do well in the leadership in the West as well as Ontario, Quebec to, uh, to really win this thing. And we're also hearing that his campaign slogan will be built to win, John. But just wondering, Jean Charest, who has a uh, you know political veteran, been around uh, for some time now, is there a concern amongst conservatives that they're kind of uh, looking back, looking to yesterday for today and tomorrow's answers? Well, you know, it, it's at a time when the conservatives, you know, there's some frustrations amongst conservatives because we haven't won in a number of elections. And despite our best efforts, and even Errol too was close to winning in the first half of the campaign, if you recall, in the last election. So I, I, the bill to win, I think, is a smart tagline for him. He's obviously won. He's won the leadership of the conservatives back in the day. He won as premier of, of Quebec. So there is a winnability factor that he brings to the race. And I think from that perspective, that's an attraction to conservatives who say, hey, look, if you want to win this next election, I've done it. I've done it in the province of Quebec, which is a very important and large province. I can do it across Canada. So, you know, whether or not it's it's in the past or not, he brings a lot of experience, brings a lot of conservative uh, you know, values uh, and brings that winnability factor, which is not insignificant amongst conservative voters. All right. And Patrick Brown, that's another name that's been uh, talked about uh, quite a bit in the last couple of weeks. Is Patrick Brown any closer to declaring his candidacy for the leadership? Well, I think if he decides to run, he's a lot closer today than he was yesterday, given the fact that CTV, you know, uh, basically there was a news story that, that they settled this, this long-standing lawsuit between the two uh, that went back to when he was, uh, you know, when he resigned and was ousted from the, from the Ontario Conservative Party when he was leader based on allegations. So that's a big deal because that does clear his name. And that's one sort of thing that is off the plate if he does decide to run, which is to say, if there's any of these allegations that are brought up, you can just say, well, look, CTV just announced that they, you know, they settled, they, they admitted that there was some fault fabrication of some of, of stories, all that stuff. So that goes a long way, I think, Jeff, in, in clearing the way for him to do it, whether or not he wants to do it, whether or not he He's got the ability to do it, I think, is, is yet to be determined. He's also running for, you know, he's mayor of Brampton and he's running in the next election for mayor of Brampton. But uh, he is somebody that you would never underestimate. Patrick is a hard worker, uh, has proven to be a hard worker over the course of his political career, and I think would put on a really good show if he decides to jump in. All right. And any other uh, potential bids or names that you're aware of that the rest of us should be aware of? You know what, there's a lot of names out there and a lot of people are looking at it. The rules are set now, so they have a sense of what, what it's going to be to take to jump in. The $200,000 fee, $100,000 deposit, membership cutoff in, G in June. So anybody who's a, a lesser known person has to realize that he or she has enough to make that, raise that kind of money. But also you've got about three or four months between now and June 3rd to really raise uh, and sign up members in order to become a contender. So that might cause some people to think twice. We'll see some names coming in. But the, the, the names that we just mentioned now, Jeff, are the ones that are going to be playing probably a heavy role in this leadership. Do you expect it to be a, a fairly crowded field, or have we pretty much kind of checked off the uh, main contenders uh, here? Or do you think maybe we'll see three, four, I don't know, even maybe five uh, others that we're not talking about here this afternoon? <clears throat> 
Well, I remember the day when there was 13 candidates at one point, and that was a right. big, uh, show. Uh, you know, I think if I think just given the tight the tightness of this, given the fact that the leadership is now set for September 10th, that's a really short period of time. I, I suspect you know the, the names that we just ticked off are the ones that are going to be playing a really significant role in this. There'll be others that'll be coming through the ranks, perhaps. Roman Barber's another name that I mentioned. Tasha Kierden we mentioned before, but she's now declared her support to Jean Charest and is out of the race. Um, you might get other names that might, might might filter in, but but I think we're probably set at about four, if not five, top uh, from a candidacy perspective, my, my guess. All right, just finally, let me ask you about that date, September 10th. You just mentioned it's a rather short window. I mean, we're only here middle of March uh, right now, March the 9th. Uh, does this not give uh, an opportunity for somebody who maybe is uh, lesser known to really win support uh, amongst the party? Is there enough time in these coming months uh, and over the summer that uh, maybe, you know, you could say Sheree, if he declares tomorrow, is the uh, favorite uh, right now, but there's enough time that things could change? Well, there's always enough time, I think, and I think the party's leadership election committee, LEOC, as they call it, which is the one that set the rules, I think did a really smart job in, in sort of sort of, you know, laying out the, the, the timelines, which is to say June 3rd being the membership cutoff. But that leaves candidates from June 3rd to September to what we call persuasion uh, phase of the campaign, which is, you know, to reach out to all the members who've been signed up from other camps and try to persuade them to, to, you know, switch their votes to them, or more particularly, maybe strategically vote and say, well, look, I know you signed up for candidate X, but, you know, give me consideration for your second or third or down ballot support. Uh, and because of our preferential balloting, that could, that's how Leslie Lewis, you know, who was an unknown, reached you know, virtually third place, if not second place uh, in, in the leadership run, because she was able to strategically get folks to vote for her down ballot, which uh, which accumulated for her in a way that, that almost made her win. That could happen. So I could see a lot of people and a lot of candidates who are not known working that angle. All right. Got to leave it there for now, John. Much appreciated as always. We'll talk again soon. Look forward to it, Jeff. All the best. You too. John Capobianco, political insider and senior vice president with Fleischman Hillard High Road. And we're back after this. You're listening to The Jeff MacArthur Show. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the ring.